And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. It's great to have you with us here on the program. Today, we're going to get right to the heart of the matter here on the Tell Me Your Story with New Paradigms for a New World. And I will tell you, pun intended. Yes, indeed. We're going to be talking about a cardiologist discovers that there is no such thing as death. My guest is Terry Gordon, Dr. Terry Gordon. He's a nationally recognized heart specialist, bringing, uh, he brings uh, enlightened perspective as well as empowered insight into the mystery of life and death. And his book happens to be the title, No Beginning, No End. And uh, Doctor, uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Terry Gordon, for joining us here on the program. It's really a pleasure to have you with us. I'm very excited about our conversation. As am I, and I want to tell you, the music you just played just set the stage. It's beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you. Uh, music came very up important with, to all of us. Uh, absolutely. I, I, I used to think that song, when I first found it, I thought the song was entitled, Tell Me Your Story. Turns out it's called Flesh and Blood. Because the hmm. lyrics go on from there, after Tell Me Your Story, I'll Do My Best to Understand, it says, we're flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of what we're going to talk about. But even uh, beyond that, not just flesh and blood, but um, soul and spirit, if you will, that which animates uh, what many of my guests are now referring to. I, I don't happen to cotton to it, but so be it. They refer to it as a meat suit. Okay, fine. <laughs> Although <clears throat> I do like uh, a line from um, one of the Star Trek uh, original series, the aliens referred to the humans as ugly bags of wa- mostly water. Eighty-eight <laughs> so, percent. That's right. So, folks, take your pick. You know, <laughs> whatever you want. You. How long have you been a cardiologist? Well, I was in practice for over a quarter of a century, uh, and it was uh, during a time of great discovery. I mean, everything changed in cardiology, and I was so blessed. I'm not sure how I ended up getting in there, but I trained at the Cleveland Clinic, world famous, and saw a lot of pathology and loved every single second of it. It just was such a phenomenal experience and, you know, got in there and things started to change, and they changed dramatically, and I was able to be there as an observer and a, a participant. So it was, it was great. Had 25 great years. Uh, loved all my patients, and uh, I think they they put up with me. And, uh, <laughs> but but no, it was it was just such an honor to be a, a physician. And well, I, I, I quite frankly didn't realize how much until after I retired. I uh, realized, gosh, they they really invested their heart, put their hearts in my hands to be able to, to help fix them. And I tried my best. Most, most literally put their heart in your hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, that, I, I will say, though, you do not come across to me, though I did not know you as a cardiologist, but you don't come across to me with the personality that you present with us here just early in the program, uh, the stereotype <clears throat> of the... Uh, <clears throat> The stereotype of a cardiologist is, I am a god, I have your heart in my hand, and I can do pretty much anything I want, so don't get in my way. <laughs> a very ego-centered, very uh, narcissistic, uh, you know, and so forth, because, and I have a feeling that maybe the stereotype of brain surgeons might might rank up there uh, alongside or second place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can, I get that. I really do. I mean, granted, well, you know, it, it was interesting. Uh, I, I, as it would be, bumped into the CEO of the competing hospital in our town. And I didn't know this guy, uh, but he was in charge of more people in Akron, Ohio than anybody else. And he had just retired. And I ended up over in the corner at a, a dinner with him. And um, I asked him how retirement was. And he said, oh, it's great. I can't believe it took me so long to do this. I said, really? I said, you know, I, I have this impression of you as being in charge of it was like 15,000 people. And I can't imagine going from that to nothing. And he made the most profound statement, Richard, when he said, if who you are is what you do, then when you don't, you aren't. Ooh. Yeah, that's what I said. If who you are is what you do, then when you don't, you aren't. 
And I realized at that time, and, and quite frankly, had realized it before, I never considered myself a cardiologist. That was my advocation, but that's not who I was. And so when the time came and I actually had to retire, I fell off of a, a ladder out here on the farm, had a, a rather significant uh, head injury and neck injury and ended up, you know, to the place where I thought, you know, I wouldn't want me working on me. And so that's when I retired and never looked back. Um, and so, yeah, you know, if, if you define yourself, define yourself by stuff that isn't that important. Dr. Terry Gordon is my guest, and drterrygordon.com is the website you want to go to to find out more about him, <clears throat> but only after you found out more about him on this program, which is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is really a pleasure to, uh, <clears throat> to have Dr. Terry Gordon with us. Uh, I, will, I will not use the, the, the phrase former. Uh, I don't like using the phrase X when I'm referring to my uh, former wife. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, um, uh, because I, I'd like to consider people as friends. I, I find it fascinating, Doc, that we invest so much time in the various levels of relationships. And then when something comes along to potentially undermine it, some people will say, fine, I'm out of here. You're dead to me. I'm gone. Um I had an instance like that with my best friend, who I love saying this, I have known for 50 years. We went to grade school, high school, and college together, and we're still friends. And um, uh, we went on a road trip to Kansas from Phoenix, Arizona, my hometown. And when we got back to Phoenix after our week, I think it was a week-long trip, he was out there checking on uh, um, a college, a Nazarene college out there in Kansas. And we get home and I said, we both said that we owed each other money. And I said, I said, look, I'm not willing to throw away our friendship over money. So if you're willing to agree that we're even, then let's just leave it. And we did. Hmm. And I just find it interesting. I mean, I spent 15 years with my first wife and... um I didn't write her off. Every once in a, a, a great while, I will call to see how she's doing. Uh, what saddened me was when her mother and father passed away. I was never phoned. I was never notified. I mean, 15 years has got to mean something. So when you talk about um, this commitment to your patients, and you were only, I want to say, you were, you were only a cardiologist for 25 years, which is a quarter of a century. That's, that's a long time. Um, when you decided to discontinue your practice and, and uh, your, your, your cardiological uh, endeavors, if you will, um, how, did you, how did you go about presenting that to the, the, your, the patients at that time who were your current patients who knew that, oh, I'm going to have to find a new cardiologist? So I would venture you probably referred them to uh, some of your colleagues, but... How did that go? I mean, that must have been hard for them as well as you. It, it was. You know, I sent each of them uh, as much of a personal letter as I could. Uh, lots of phone calls, lots of hugs and kisses. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just one of those things. I knew my time was done. I didn't even renew my license after I retired. I, I, I turned around, walked away and never looked back. And I think, you know, that's, you know, certainly was a good way for me to do it. Um, it, it was almost like, um, uh, what was it? Cheers. When Cheers had their final episode, mm-hmm. barkeep, you know, walks to the door, turns around and looks at it one more time and turns the light out. That's what I did. I, I didn't want to party. I didn't want anybody to be there with me when I did it because I really didn't know how I was going to respond. But it was just one of those natural sorts of transitions. You know, I, I still have patients that give me a call and yeah, it was just a natural transition. You know, I, I had I really didn't know how I was going to respond to it, but I know I knew I didn't want a lot of people there. I just wanted to experience it. And it was a beautiful experience. You know, I just look back on where I'd been and couldn't still can't believe that I was there. It, it just was such a phenomenal place. And and yet, you know, uh, you're getting back to your song at the uh, opening of this uh, session. Um, I consider myself. Well, I, I wouldn't say I'm a musician. Um, I play, I play one. Um, and, um, 
at, at the Cleveland Clinic, you know, they were very stuffy. There were some really stuffy sort of guys up there. And there was this one fella who was from um, Persia and people just feared him. And uh, he had a, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yes. Okay. Uh, people <laughs> just feared him, you know, and, and he had that sort of power. If he didn't like you, he could have you kicked out. Well, I waited until two weeks before I finished to uh, sing a song at the uh, dinner for all the residents and fellows. And I reworked worked the words to uh, Rocky Top to Shiny Top. <laughs> I'm guessing he was bald. He was, he had a paucity of hair up there, yes. And he was not real happy with me, but oh, <laughs> I'll have to send you the words. For, for, for those who uh, are not watching the YouTube edition of Tell Me Your Story, uh, I just took my hat off to show uh, the doctor my, uh, my bald head, or sh- I should say shaved head. If I were to let my hair grow, it would be very thin on top, a little bald spot where the crown is, where the, that soft spot, where babies have that soft spot, and then I'd have longer hair around the sides. But anyway, so you sang that song. And by the way, I, I, can't, I can't tell you how much I love that song, Rocky Top. Mm-hmm. especially when it talks about how um, a guy goes up into the hills and never comes back. Right. And I know there are a lot of us that kind of feel that way. Uh, don't, I didn't want to interrupt your story there, but uh, uh, you, so you sang that song to him. What was his response to that? Well, he, he kind of smiled, but I could tell it was uh, a growl. Oh. I, I did see him once more before I left, but it was too late for him to do anything about it. You know, and it was all done in jest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Uh, well, that reminds me of a story I heard in broadcasting where uh, this was like up in North Dakota somewhere in the middle of winter at this one radio station. And, of course, you know, it's freezing up there, you know, you, but you still got to go into work and, you know, do the farm report, what there is of a farm report and this and that and the other thing. There was this one guy who did the news and he was like like your friend, there, you know, the, your colleague there who was just straight laced and they could not break this guy up for love or money. And they finally came up with a plan where they were going to. Try one more time. So this one guy comes into the front door. And by the way, the booth, the control room uh, with a big piece of glass in front was facing that door. But the, the guy was reading the news. So the, 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 the uh, DJ came in and he had a paper bag in his hand and he was wearing a cowboy hat and boots. Nothing else. And he went into the control room he crawled underneath the console between the legs of the news guy, pulled the bana- a banana out of the uh, bag, peeled it, and started eating it. For the first time, this guy lost it on air. <laughs> so, you know, um, and I've had that happen to – I had a guy – oh, my gosh. Uh, I had a guy back in the early 80s. I was just getting started in my career, and he mooned me. He pressed his – cheeks up against the glass i could not i says you're cleaning that i'm not touching that i couldn't believe it i got mooned by one of my colleagues but you know that's one of the things about this is um your your 25 years as a cardiologist and and don't get me wrong we're going to get into uh, no beginning no end but i want to i want to talk about how yeah you you talk about straight laced but if you can't have some fun along the way, if you can't really enjoy it. And so my question is, you said it was a natural transition out of cardiology. Mm-hmm. When you began the path into car- cardiology, did that feel natural too? You know, I don't know. It was very young, at a young age that happened. I was seven years old. Uh, that was back when there was only black and white TV. And they showed at the University of Louisville, Kentucky, they showed an operation called Operation Open Heart on a little boy named Gussie who had a hole in his heart. And Gussie and I were about the same age. And um, he could only walk maybe four steps. And then he would have to squat down. He would turn blue and breathe with pursed lips. And after a while, he would get enough strength, enough oxygen in his body to get up and take another three or four steps. And I, was, I became mesmerized. They, they, they showed the workup, the diagnostic workup. And back then there was not, there were not a lot of tools, but they showed it anyway. And then they showed the actual operation. And what intrigued me and excited me so much was he was now up and running around after one little operation. 
closing up one little hole. Now they had to go into the the, the into Gussie's uh, chest and heart. Yeah, but you know, I, I just get out of my way. That's what I want to be. I'm going to be a cardiologist. Wow. And everything that I did was directed towards that goal. You know, the book reports I did, the models I made were of the visible man, the visible woman, the visible dog, the visible heart, all those. And um, book reports were all about the heart and the body. And um, and so I, I uh, didn't have to study hard in high school. Uh, college, I went to Emory, which has a lot of people that are interested in medicine. And I just thought it was going to be easy, and it wasn't. <laughs> my father uh, was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, terminal cancer and um and so i i ended up with uh, a, an overall uh three one which was not competitive at all mm. so um i thought well if i can't go into medical school i guess the next best thing would be hospital administration i did very well in, in business courses you know and there were only seven programs in the country each had maybe six or seven people so it was extremely competitive and so I, I got turned down to all of them except for Tulane. And I went to New Orleans for my interview. And uh, the guy who, uh, I think his name was Goldsmith, he, um, I, I walked into his office and extended my hand to shake it. He just kind of looked at my hand. Didn't grab it. Just looked at it. Huh. And he never shook my hand. So I put my hand down. And after a while, you know, he, he just kind of threw my resume down on his desk. He said, what, what are you doing? You're wasting my time, man. You're, you're not even competitive here. And I figured, you know, I've got nothing to lose. So I just kind of stayed the course. And so when it came time for me to see the next interviewer, she asked me, what do you think of Goldsmith? And she, apparently he was set up in that position to try to rattle the, the, the applicants. So as he got ready, as I got ready to leave, um, he came out of his office. He said, you know, Gordon, just because you're not Phi Beta Kappa from Harvard doesn't mean you won't be back in New Orleans. So I got accepted. Okay. Mm. So I went back, went back there for my, um, my final interview and tour of the campus or whatnot. And the CEO of the hospital is taking me around. We go outside in between these two tall buildings. And he kind of looks up at each of them and he says, you know, Terry, I, I often forget that they're actually patients that are in those buildings and it was just like this bolt of lightning hit me and i said i can't do this and he said what i said i can't do this he said what are you talking about i said that's what i want i want that interaction with patients so i can't come to your program he was livid as, as were all my family members when i came home and told them <laughs> that i dropped out before i even started you know so i went back um took all my pre-med work over again made a 4-0 and got into medical school and off we go. Mm. Now, there have been many people who uh, have studied the heart. They're not necessarily cardiologists, maybe in the co in the context of uh, scientific research, uh, but also from the standpoint of metaphysics. I consider myself to be a metaphysician. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Um, they talk about what the heart is, what the seat, what, what, what resides there. Uh, as a former cardiologist, what is your perspective on not the flesh and blood definition of the heart, but, but on that higher aspect of the heart? What is it? Well, that's a, a marvelous question. You know, I... I evolved. When I first went into medicine, I thought, you know, uh, you can't get too involved emotionally with these people, um, or you won't be able to be very effective. And so out of the gate, I, I became um, very protective. Um, my mother, when she found out that I was planning on going into medicine, uh, tried desperately to convince me otherwise, because she mm -hmm. knew that I was sensitive to other people's pain and um she did not want me to go into medicine now, that's a heck of a thing for a jewish mother to say you know, <laughs> to be a, a, a doctor you know but uh but you know my, it was an evolution of sorts because i started out as a scientist you know that i who only believed in and accepted what he could see hear smell taste um but over the course of time i realized that I was missing so much. And it was only when I started 
spiritualizing the experience that it became a meaningful one. And once I allowed myself to do that, oh gosh, doors opened up left and right. People, people crossed my um, path at just the right time. Uh, and, and it was just beautiful, beautiful to watch orchestrate. It really was. You know, I, 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 I fought it for a while because I didn't know what it was. But then, you know, I, I started bumping into people of interest. Uh, I had this, this one patient, his name was Art Blair. And Art uh, came into the hospital one night with uh, atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heart rate. And so I, I came into his room the following morning, and I, I was a very busy cardiologist. I had probably 30 or 40 people in the hospital would do six or seven heart catheterizations, do an angioplasty, put in a pacemaker, and be over in the office by 1.30 to see another 25 or 30 people. It was just grueling, but I loved every moment of it. And so I, I would literally run from room to room, uh, peruse the chart of the person I was getting ready to see, and then I'd take this big, deep breath, and with this facade of calmness, I would walk into the room. And I did that with, with Art. Never met him before. First thing out of his mouth was, whoa, Dr. Gordon, you're killing yourself. Mm. I, said, I said, what? He said, you're killing yourself, man. You've got this marvelous energy about you, but, but you better do something about it because it's terribly fractured. And I cleared my throat and I said, you know, Mr. Blair, I'm the doctor. I'm here to help you, not the other way around. So I told him kind of what we were going to do. And as I got ready to leave the room, he beckoned out to me. He said, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And I didn't even respond to him. I just thought, what is this old geezer talking about? <laughs> so I, I left the room, went on to my next patient. Um, and I, he went home two or three days later. Um, came back in, though, with a recurrent arrhythmia, heart rhythm disturbance. And this time um, he said to me, you know, have you done anything about it yet? I said, no, I haven't. He said, man, you've got to. It's killing you. And he said, you know, ha have you ever tried meditation? And I had. I had uh, embraced meditation back in the 60s. But, you know, I, I realized I really didn't need that because I'm in such great control of my life and me and whatnot. And um, so he said, well, you, you, you ought to think about meditating. And there's, there's a, a guy who's written a number of books. I'd like you to think about reading one of them. And it was called Real Magic by Dr. Wayne Dyer. Huh. And I had read one of Wayne's books uh, uh, way, way back. Um, but I, you know, I took that in stride and left. Um, and this time I took his advice. I took a meditation course because I was feeling a, a lot of stress in my life. This time he came back in, Art came back in with chest discomfort. And um, it was so dramatic, I, I knew he had... Uh, blocked arteries. And so I took him to the cath lab. And as we got ready to start his procedure, a man in the coronary care unit started having a heart attack. So I had to triage Art off the table because he was nice and stable to take care of this guy who was having um, a major heart attack. Mm. And it took about two hours for me to open up those arteries. And about halfway through that two hour period, I, I walked out into the hallway where Art was on a gurney asleep or, or so I thought. So, um, when we finally got him back on the table, I apologized uh, for the uh, inconvenience, for the delay. He said, oh, you don't need to apologize. He said, I had two hours of great meditation. Do you want to know what you're going to find? And I said, what? He said, yeah, I'm going to tell you what I saw in my meditation is that I have two blockages. I said, okay, Mr. Hotshot Meditator Man, let's see how this goes. <laughs> so I did this heart catheterization, and there was only one blockage. Okay. And I must have started smiling a little bit because he asked me what was so funny. And I said, well, you know, man, we probably should have delayed you three hours rather than two so that you really could have seen the, the arteries that you've got. There's only one blockage. And I said, uh, much conviction. And he looked at me with such, I mean, his hazel eyes, just, they were just piercing mine. And um, he said, Terry, you're missing something. And I said, no, I'm not. There's only one blockage. And I started in the films. The, the nurse that was standing next to me poked me in the ribs with her elbow. I mean, he was so insistent. It, it brought goose, goose flesh out. So um, he said, one more time, you know, you're missing something. And so just to get him out of my hair, I took this view that I very rarely take. And guess what I found? <laughs> I found this 
Now, how did he know that? I'm the one that studied the heart. I'm the one that went to medical school. I'm the one that knows what a heart catheterization is. I've done 9,000. He'd never even seen one. And yet he's telling me what I, um, I found. So I took this view, found the, the, the artery that had two blockages in it, fixed the artery. I don't remember doing it, to be honest with you, because I, my mind was just someplace else. So I rushed over to the office after we did this, came back that night to his room and threw my hands up in the air. And I said, okay, man, you've got me. What is this all about? And for two or three hours, Art shared with me his spiritual journey. And our, our, our journeys joined one another. Mm. And he became one of my mentors along with, uh, with Wayne Dyer. Wow. You know, it, 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 brings, it brings to mind, of course, something that we promote here on the program over and over again, we've been promoting it since uh, September of 2019. And it started out as encouraging people to participate in the year of perfect vision 2020. And obviously, when that ended, we went to the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. And what we encourage people to do is to go within, listen to that still small voice what does that mean to you? And, and, and what is, what is your, uh, I'll, I'll use this term, what is your inner life like, if you, if you care to share that with us, in regards to that kind of an experience that you had? That's extraordinary that, that you, you have a patient that is, you know, telling you, uh, you know, what path to take for him. Well, you know, I, I will tell you, one of the things uh, that came from that interaction with Art was me trying to call Wayne Dyer to thank him for helping me. Mm. And I couldn't get through his secretary, even though I said, this is Dr. Gordon. I'd like to speak with Dr. Dyer. <laughs> well, she could have given a rat's, you know what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but I ended up um, bumping into Wayne on a beach. And that doesn't just happen. No. Um, you know, Wayne is the one who, who really encouraged me toward uh, meditation, which I've done. Um, and, and, you know, I, I never achieved the level of meditation that I have in the past 12, 13 years. We, we you know, I, I saw a show with Wayne on it. I can't remember who the, the uh, interviewer was, but she was questioning Wayne, you know, here you're the father of meditation and spirituality and you know you've got three or four marriages behind you how can that be and wayne uh his response was you know i'm not perfect and it shows my imperfection and um but on the other hand i'm a work in progress and and, and i feel that way myself um you know we had a, a uh, what many called uh, a tragedy in our family. Our son, Tyler, was involved in a car accident and left quadriplegia. Um, and actually, my first book um, was uh, No Snow and Last Forever, was cataloging the experience from my perspective, being a father who has a son that has such a horrific uh, injury. Um, and yet, you know, once I've made it over that uh, hurdle, hurdle, if you will, you know, there are other things that happen. And, and the way I look at it is just like, well, I'm just not done yet. You know, um, when I learn everything it is that I'm supposed to learn from these experiences, then I'll be done and then I'll move on. Mm. Well, I know for myself uh, and I, I don't know uh, what your thoughts are on this. I'm curious. I know for myself, and we're going to get into this uh, with your uh, in regards to your book, no beginning, no ending, no end. Uh, I I know this much. <clears throat> uh, I know this much right now. Okay, I put it in that in that context. I didn't create myself. With that in mind, if I didn't create myself, then there is some one something that created me, and put me here and gave me a ticket, okay? And that ticket has an arrival and a departure date. Now, of course, I know what my arrival date is or was. It's June 26, 1960. 
I do not know what my departure date is. However, what I do know is that from where I sit right now, and I don't, again, I don't know about you, uh, Doc, but if today is my day, I'm good to go. Kind of like my sister, who I just lost about two months ago uh, to cancer. She, um, uh, she was the same way. I asked her that, what, what some refer to as that hard question. Are you, are you ready? To, are you ready? And she said yes and no. And I said, Jeanette, what? What do you mean yes and no? And she says, well, her husband. She didn't want to leave her husband and her daughter behind. But she said, setting that aside, yes, I'm at peace with it. Well, so am I. And yet at the same time, I sit here going, there's so much more I want to do. So if today were my day, I guess I'll be coming back. <laughs> what, what about you? Uh, it sounds to me you have, that, you have that nice calming aspect to your voice. Uh, it sounds to me like, yeah, you're, you're good. You're good. If, if today were the day that you got called to the next realm, and I personally am rather excited about the prospect – of, of finding out what's on the other side or in that next dimension or what have you. Where, where, where are you coming from in that regard? I don't know that there's a ticket on either side of where we are right now. Um, I had this, uh, this beautiful, beautiful patient. She was from the South and I was from the South. Her name was Adrian. And she had a very sick heart. And... Um, I put an implantable defibrillator in it. That's a device that recognizes a life-threatening arrhythmia and shocks the heart out of that arrhythmia. Um, she had a very, very sick heart and uh, had already had one episode of sudden cardiac arrest. Um, but so she and I from the get-go connected and I knew there was something in her that I wanted in me. Um, she had a, um, a family that most of whom lived down south in North Carolina. And I, of course, was from Kentucky. Um, but one morning she presented to the hospital and she was having recurrent uh, ventricular tachycardia, which is a life-threatening uh, arrhythmia. And despite my efforts to, to help her sick heart, she got about 80 or 85 shocks in the heart, in the chest that day. All of which, unfortunately, were while she was awake. Very painful. Mm. So late, late that afternoon, she beckoned me to her, her room. And as I entered, she said, you know, Terry, I'm not afraid to die. I've actually been dying for 10 years now. And I said, oh, no, Adrian, you've been doing so great. And you've had a great 10. In fact, I didn't expect you to, to do as well as you had. And she added, but no, no, where I meant by that was that I've been preparing for my death for over a decade. Um, I've been consciously shedding all the extraneous things most people think are so important. Now, I don't fear death, she said resolutely, but, but I don't wish to continue living like this any longer. Will you turn my defibrillator off? And I told her, well, of course, I would do that if that was her wish, you know, explaining to her that the next time that she had that heart rhythm disturbance, she was going to pass on and move on. And she understood the implications of her decision. Um, I felt sad for her, uh, Richard, because um, she was facing such a momentous decision by herself. Her family was down in the Carolinas and couldn't make it up in time. But they you know, were resolute. They didn't want her to suffer anymore. Um, so I, I shared with Adrian what a pleasure uh, it had been and privilege for me to be able to care for her all those years and, and what a dear friend she had been to me. And as I turned to leave the room, she hesitantly said, Terry, I just have one more request. And she paused for a moment, looked at me, and, and a single tear trickled down her cheek when she said, will you hold my hand? Mm. And I said, well, of course I will, Adrian. And I said, you can't tell my wife I'm doing this because she gets very jealous when I'm holding hands with women in their bed. <laughs> so if you, don't tell my, if you don't tell my wife, we'll be okay. And she kind of chuckled. You know? And I shared with her again the honor that I had felt. And um, we reminisced about the South and I'm caressing her hand and she's responding with a caress of her hands to mine. And it was just a precious time that we spent there. And I looked up at her heart monitor at the precise moment that her heart stopped beating. Her eyes kind of fluttered uh, and for a moment and then gently rolled into the back of her head and she peacefully transitioned. And while I sat there in, in silence, I continued to hold her hand looking at it. And I realized that it was the same hand I had
just been holding a split second before, yet it was no longer responsive to me. It was still warm and having with uh, in its veins flowed the same blood and the electrolytes and the ligaments remained the same, the bone structure hadn't changed. It was the same hand except for one thing. The spirit had left the vessel. And the strangest thought crossed my mind. I know you're old enough to remember um, the movie E.T. Mm-hmm. But there's a scene where E.T. is showing off to, to the little boy in his uh, bedroom closet. And when E.T.'s bony finger reaches over and touches the flower, ding, the flower immediately withered. And as he touched it again, ding, the flower came back to life. And it occurred to me what had just happened to Adrian. God had dinged her. And in that instant, in that very moment, her spirit left the vessel, the vessel she had called home for over 80 years. Mm. And for the first time in my career, because I allowed myself to do so, I could feel her energy swirling around the room. It hovered for only a moment and then whoosh, it was gone. Mm. You know, we think we know so much in science. The truth is, we don't know squat. <laughs> we don't. We don't. Yeah, yeah. But there is one fact that we do know for certain, and that is energy doesn't die. It transforms. It changes. Right. And when it's sent in the particular forms done, it offers itself back to the universe where the energy will be forever. Mm. From the moment Adrian's spirit departed her body, her energy, her essence, her soul set on its journey to eternity. Now, if you accept that premise, and here's this, the step you have to make, but if you accept that premise, I believe that it's equally true that her soul existed for eternity before she was dinged into this vessel. So considering ad infinitum on either side of what we call life, the time we spend here is infinitesimal. Not to mean that it should be minimized, but the time here is neither inconsequential or insignificant. Yeah, it matters not the span of time, whether you're there for four hours, four days, four years, four score, it's still fleeting. Yeah. So I learned from then from that, that, that death isn't our enemy. It's our companion. Our yeah. Guide. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Dr. Terry Gordon, and we're going to talk more about uh, the work that he's doing today uh, as he is. Uh, he is a former cardiologist, a cardiolo- cardiolo- cardi heart doctor. And uh, we're going to continue talking. I want to let you folks know his website is drterrygordon.com. And we will be linked to your website so that people can find out more about you and the work that you do, as well as uh, you also have uh, a, 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 a second book uh, that uh, uh, that we want to encourage people because to me, this is uh, interesting. No storm lasts forever is the title. And, you know, that's something that I'm trying to uh, trying to encourage other people to become aware of because everybody thinks that whatever is going on right now is going to last forever. And uh, no storm lasts forever, transforming suffering into insight. And uh, I certainly could share some stories of my own in that regard. But we will continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with a cardiologist, a Dr. Terry Gordon, who has written a, a fascinating book, in, in my opinion, having to do with a subject that uh, I really kind of like. Uh, no beginning, no end. It is a cardiologist that discovers there is no such thing as death. And I put it this way, Doc, and uh, you probably uh, might uh, agree with this. Uh, I'm not always asking my guests to agree with me, but uh, put it out there anyway. That it's like, uh, well, for example, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know. Uh, you're probably is somewhere around my age. I'm 61. I never thought I would ever drive, okay, but now I'm driving. And I have had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have had eight different uh, automobiles, we'll put it, because I'm currently driving a truck. And I put it in that context that um, all we're doing is changing vehicles. Now, when we get out of this vehicle, <laughs> this meat suit, if you will, 
we're not necessarily going to jump right into the next one. We'll probably get a rental for a short time. I'll go to uh, Enterprise and set up the uh, agreement. And uh, then we will, maybe we will want to come back and get into another vehicle and see how that one drives for a lifetime. But again, it is all temporary. Uh, th- there is nothing that's permanent. Do you, uh, do you find that the people that you come in contact with have a real hard time with accepting the reality that nothing is permanent, that there's always change, as much as we would like to have things stay, I don't want to say static, because uh, if, you, if you look at a pool, if you look at a, uh, 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 a pool of water, if it's stagnant, well, then it gets murky and all this kind of the mosquitoes and this and that and the other. Whereas if you've got it moving and, and so forth, at least a little agitation of the water, it's going to stay cleaner and clearer for a lot longer period of time, which implies there's change. I think of, I, I mean, I'm thinking of those computer terms, static versus dynamic, you know, kind of thing. What, do you have, uh, what, what's your perspective on this whole aspect of change? Well, it's uh, something that we all resist because whether we like it or not, or like the circumstance or not, we're familiar with it. Um, but, you know, the, the, the one thing that doesn't change is our spirit. Our spirit, as it becomes incarnated, um, enters a new body, a body that has been around for 15 billion years. And, you know, there's a lot in my body right now that I'm not using, that hasn't been manifest. And yet it hibernates within my DNA, which is, is a continuation, if you will, of, of your energy. Hmm. Wayne Dyer, you know, used to say this, and, and I've, I've used it so many times, when you change the way you look at things, things you look at change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what we all must do is, is to look at immortality in a different view. You know, yes. many religions promise immortality to, to their believers. Um, but my definition of eternity doesn't necessarily mean that the current physical rendition of me is going to endure forever because I don't believe it's going to. Um, on my transition, though, I will live on. It's just going to be in a different a different fashion. So the Terry Gordon that you're talking to right now that you're seeing or, or thinking about, that, that's not going to be around. But But the energy, the essence is there forever. And it's all a matter of being cognizant receptive to that, to that energy. Mm. Dr. Terry Gordon is my guest, and you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a pleasure to have him with us here on the program. Dr. Terry Gordon is the author of his latest work, No Beginning, No End. No end, no beginning, I-N-G, no end, no I-N-G. And, um, <laughs> pardon me, it is a cardio, <coughs> pardon me, I'm all choked up over the whole thing. It's I'm not a cardi- on call, by the way, so you better not have anything serious. No, no, no. I, <laughs> um, I tell you what, I have been, I would have to say very fortunate regarding my health uh, at the age of 61. And I think of my father who turns uh, 90, 91 this year, 2022. Sure. And he's still up and around and kicking. He's very healthy. Uh, and uh, very healthy as far as his medical information, and not that I know anything about it. Uh, this is what has been relayed to me, although I, he had a conversation with my mother not long ago, and she says, he says, I am tired. I am done. I just, I just want to go. Now, he's not, he doesn't have any problems mentally, you know. It's just, you know, he's 91 years old. He's been around for a long time, and he's, who doesn't get tired after such a long time around here, Right. Says, I just, I just want to go. And so my mother turns to him, uh, who she's 87, 88 this year. They've been married 66 years. And she says to him, it's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. She says, okay, so what are you going to die of? Because, you know, people at that age, oh, it's prostate or it's cancer or it's this or that or the other thing or Alzheimer's or what have you. The guy doesn't have any of those things. He's healthy and it's just, you know, he's just not happy. He's got some stability and hearing and vision issues. But other than that, you know, the man is healthy as a horse. And I think I take after him. But uh, you talked about this. And I remember as a child, literally as a child thinking this. Do you remember the scene in Men in Black 
where they had uh, uh, they brought in this one alien who had been injured. I mean, and this was a big, big alien. And they popped open the head and there was this tiny little critter in there. That tiny little critter was what was animating that huge body. I used to think of myself in that context uh, that I'm in here somewhere looking out of these eyes and listening out of these ears and talking out of this mouth and breathing in and out of this nose and touching and feeling with these fingers and hands and all that kind of stuff. But that this meat suit, it's not me. And I've been pushing this lately in the last 10 years about the fact that, ladies and gentlemen, we are immortal. We are already immortal. Um, So I'm going to ask you in that regard, no beginning, no end. Where do we come from, from your perspective? Well, the energy that is us has always been. It's always there. And our purpose for being here is to uh, expand on that that essence through our experiences. And by doing so, we progress. And and that's what I think our purpose for being here is. Our purpose is not to um, become successful. It's not to um, craft a legacy, have a building named after us. Those are the things that uh, you know our society says are very important, but they're not. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not here just to have a good time. We're here for what what is referred to as transformative enlightenment. And transformative enlightenment is is when you develop um, um, an awareness of what you really are, and that's not uh, me, a cardiologist, or or you. Uh, a guy that's going to live till he's 91. Um, but it's, uh, it's something that, that we all do. And, and once we achieve that transformation, we move on. Mm. And, you know, if, if we don't learn the lessons we're supposed to learn or that are given to us, then I think we get to come back and do this again yeah. until we get it right. Well, I will tell you that uh, you're, you're only nine years short because I, I have to outlive my great-grandmother who lived to be 100. And in uh, 1995, I took a cassette recorder to a family reunion where she was there and it was her birthday. And I said, I'm going to outlive her, but she's making it really hard. And she was 95. I think she was, um, uh, I don't know, she was in her late 90s at that particular point in time. I had I had a great aunt, Aunt Tilly, who lived to be 103. Wow. At 101. Now, and I remember her being just this strong woman. She would walk five miles a day in the middle of the, of the day, um, exercising. And so we were at the funeral of the second child she had to bury. And she's over in the corner rubbing her chest. And I'm a heart guy. I went over there and I said, Aunt Tilly, are you okay? She's rubbing her chest. She called me Tetty. She says, oh, Tetty, it hurts so badly. And I said, honey, you better sit down. You might be having a heart attack. She said, a heart attack? Hell, I heard her doing push-ups this morning. (laughs) (laughs) At 101 years old, she is doing push-ups, 10 of them every morning. Wow. Hopefully we'll see each other in our uh, 90s together. I I got to about about a decade or so. I I hope so. I hope so. Because um, as I I said before, you know, if today's my day and uh, that's my uh, departure uh, date, okay, fine. If it's not and I can make it to that level, there's still a lot I want to do. There's so many people I still want to talk with and and, and, uh, get their story out there and get their perspective out there and so forth, as well as mine. I mean, I'm I'm in the process now, and I have been encouraged by one of my other guests on this program. Her name is Don uh, Don James, and she's going to help me to push. She's sort of pushing me to get my book finally written after 21 years of working on it. And no, it is not War and Peace or the sequel. Uh, <laughs> it's just a small little thing. Um, but uh, there's so much more 
there's so many other places that I want to go to, so many other people that I want to meet, uh, so many experiences. It's like I shared with my uh, late sister. We had this one conversation where she was challenging me on my salvation, which I always found fascinating when they talk about a personal relationship with God. And it's like, well, wait a minute. What business is it of yours? It's a personal relationship. It's like uh, there's a HIPAA law when it comes to your spirituality. I can share it with you, but nobody else can. And if I don't want to share it with you, I don't have to, nor do I have to justify. But I, I remember telling her, I said, look, my beliefs of yesterday are not my beliefs of today are not my beliefs of tomorrow because I'm still alive. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still uh, experiencing and so on and so forth. And so uh, who knows? I mean, I, I was born and raised Roman Catholic. I have uh, been at least once to the uh, to a Mormon church service. I have um, <clears throat> I was a Baha'i for about a year and a half. I'm curious about uh, the Muslim faith. I've studied uh, a bit about Buddhism, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's philosophy, self-realization, as well as some other branches of that same uh, that same tree. I'm very curious, and I love talking with rabbis about Judaism and the history thereof, as well as the the teaching and so forth. Uh, I'm just a curious kind of guy, and um, uh, and and so it just seems to me like uh, Terry that uh, there's just there's just so much that we we have yet ahead of us, and yet if we look back, we go, boy, and I've already done so much in such the, and I, I'm going to put it this way, Terry, in such a short short 61 years. It's like our existence in this life is less than a puff of smoke. Less than a puff of smoke. How were you? And you, you were raised, uh, were you raised a traditional or Orthodox Jew? How, how was that uh, for you in terms of how that helped to develop your own inner life and searching and spirituality and so forth? Well, I was raised in the conservative Judaism uh, arena. My father was, you know, president of the synagogue. Um, but, you know, I always had this feeling and, and it was it was confirmed when I went to to Emory, which was a Methodist school. But one of my favorite courses was comparative religion. And what I, I remember from that initial presentation to me was that if you squint your eyes, they're all the same. They're all the same. They have a little difference in nomenclature over here and difference in practice over there, but it's all the same. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I never uh, I never took the the posture that I was better than anybody because I was Jewish or Catholic or Zoroaster or whomever. Yeah. Um, and and sadly, that's that's a big problem we have in the world today because. Everybody thinks they're right. Yeah. And we're all right. And we're all wrong. Yeah. Well, there's a beautiful saying from the Baha'i faith uh, written uh, that was stated by Baha'u'llah, the founder, uh, that goes like this. If you accept one of the messengers of God, you accept them all. If you reject one of the messengers of God, you reject them all. And I think that's very profound because... Every single one of the various faiths, and I call them philosophies, around the world over time have a thread of similarity that runs through them. Um, I have a, a line in my book that basically says, I was created by love, to love, to be loved, and to express love in whatever form that should. And, and when I thought, when you were talking about why we're here, I thought, yeah, that still fits, you know, <laughs> because mm-hmm. how are we going to express the love that we were created by and for and so forth? How are we going to express that? Are we going to express it through kindness? Are we, you know, uh, through whatever service we might do for individuals through the work that we do? And I have to tell you that when you chose to become a cardiologist, setting aside your your intrigue and curiosity over the whole thing. Uh, there must have been a part of you that felt, and even to this day, because you're still you're still dealing with people's hearts, but it's not it's 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 uh, it's from an external slash non physical way. You're 
you're you're you're impacting them by helping them to understand through the through the at least the two books you have now that we're talking about of course the uh, you know about the storm not lasting and then of course uh, no beginning no end um that that center if you will the heart if you will if it were just over just a little more to the right it would be center um <laughs> It'd be more symmetrical. I, I don't understand why it's not, but there you go. Uh, that we're we're here together, and I think that's the one thing that I find so fascinating is that if the good Lord had intended for each one of us to uh, occupy our own planet, I'm sure there are plenty of there are enough Class M planets. I'm sure there are eight billion Class M planets in the universe for each one of us to occupy our own planet. But the reality is, guess what? We're all here together. What does that mean to you? And well, Terry, what does that mean to you that we're all here together? If we could only practice it and, and do it genuinely. Yeah. Just think how, you know, how beautiful the world could be, the entire experience. But we also need the crap to happen, too, to balance mm. together. Yeah. I would agree with you there. There, there is a, a balancing, and uh, <clears throat> someone described it this way as a pendulum swinging. Where mm-hmm. are you going to be on the pendulum? Are you going to be down at the bottom of the pendulum, swinging to and fro and to and fro, or are you going to work your way up to the pendulum to the pivot point where that's all you do is you just pivot a little bit? You're still mm-hmm. dealing with the challenges uh, of day-to-day life, but are you allowing them to affect and impact you in such a way that you can't seem to get a handle on anything. And it seems to me like what you're trying to share with people is work your way up to the pivot point where you just kind of pivot back and forth a little bit. And uh, yeah, yeah, I I got this challenge and I've got that challenge and I have this joy and I have this blessing and this grace uh, and this is my life. And I'm not going to... uh, I'm not going to be, if I may use the term, swayed <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, by everything that just keeps coming along, especially those things that I have no control over. Right? I mean, do you see that a lot in your life too? In, in, that, my, in myself. I yeah. You know, where you watch the news you, and you go, you, "Oh my gosh!" But there's, what are you going to do? Are you going to Ukraine? Are you going to Washington? Are you going to the Middle East? Are you are you going to solve the Middle East crisis, uh, Doc? You know. <laughs> That is. It's not your purpose, is it? No, it's not. No. But, you know, each of the stuff that that, that confronts us, I believe, is a gift. And and I never embraced that before. You know, no one has, you know, a cross too heavy to bear, that that sort of mentality. I never embraced that until our son was injured. And I realized, you know, he's not being punished. It's a gift. God has given him a gift. Mm Mm-hmm be able to make it through this storm and if you if you if you learn anything from the circumstance even if it's so small you can't imagine it could impact it but if you learn anything from a bad uh experience it becomes a good experience because it's positive you learn something from it so as horrific as cancer is as horrific as sudden death is or or murder it's still something we can learn from and I think that uh, that is a, a great perspective for, for each of us to take, uh, changing our perspective. And you made a comment about that earlier, and I, it brought to mind this thought that <clears throat> I was that was shared with me. I was talking about uh, change and choices. Actually, I was talking about choices, and that uh, all of our choices that we have made up to this point. I mean, think about this, Doc. All the choices you have made in your life have brought you to this moment right now with me on this program, right? Mm-hmm. I think about that. That's that's, and same here. Same with me. Same with me. And then I said, and all of the choices that I'm going to make for uh, from this point forward are going to place me five years down the road where I will be. But one of my guests threw this extra element in. I'd love your perspective on this. He said, all of that might be true, but in terms of the future, all of the choices that you are going to make from this point forward to put you where you're going to be, 
are going to be based upon your perception of what you think the future, your future will be. And I think of those people who are paranoid, who are concerned about, from a philosophical perspective, uh, Armageddon and the end of the world, um, a massive global recession, depression, economic collapse, blah, 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 nuclear disaster, the preppers. All of their decisions and choices that they make from this point forward are going to be based upon the fact that they think that the rest of civilization isn't going to survive. I better, you know, dig a hole in the ground and stock it with whatever and, and then go down in there and just wait and see what happens. Whereas I'm the kind of guy, I'm a guy with the glass half full going, that may or may not happen. I'm looking forward to the possibilities of taking this show on the road, seriously, literally, uh, mm -hmm. of writing my book and hopefully inspiring other people to make the kinds of choices in their lives that make their dreams come true, uh, continuing to interview people such as yourself, and so on and so forth. What, what are your thoughts in that regard? Well, I think, the, you know, the analogy that you drew of uh, the choices, paths that we walk, that's why I fervently believe that there is no right path and there's no wrong path. Mm -hmm. Because each of us, you and me and all that are listening to us today, we took different paths to get here. And yet we ended up here. And th that, that path was constructed by, as you said, experiences that we've had that have pushed us encouraged us in in one direction versus the other but but again with no past being right no past being wrong although that's that, that's a difficult thing for people that are very you know have strong convictions to accept mm -hmm. but but again i think we all end up in the same place ultimately whether it's through this incarnation or a thousand that are facing us or yeah. not yeah um so yeah well, it's fascinating to uh, contemplate. There's no question about it. No Beginning, No End is the title of the book, uh, one of the books that we're talking about, as well as, <clears throat> excuse me, his uh, his other work as well um, about No Storm Lasts Forever. And we're hoping that you will uh, go to his website, which is drterrygordon.com. As you continue listening to Tell Me Your Story, I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we are uh, coming close to the end here of our uh, time together, uh, Doctor. But um, uh, now, do you still hold the title? I mean, do you, I'm not, shouldn't hold. Do you still uh, um, respond? Because <laughs> you have it in, obviously, your, the, the authorship of the books. Uh, mm -hmm. Doctor, I mean, th that's still a legitimate title, even though you're no longer uh, practicing, you don't have the license anymore. It is, but I'll tell you this. Um, while I was in practice, whenever someone would call me by my first name, made me feel so good that they considered me a friend over and above me being a doctor. Now, you know, there's certain things you have to, you know, be addressed that way, but I always embraced being called by my first name. Well, Terry, I, I, I'm glad you, uh, you, you, you feel that way as well. It's much less formal. Um, and, uh, and yet, I mean, it's just like, it's more familiar, you know? Uh, I think the only person that was really, upset that I would be called anything other than the doctor was my mother. Because that's what she wanted. She wanted a doctor. She usually yeah. got what she wanted. Well, yeah. mom, you can call me a doctor. Uh, you know, you can call me Jay, but you don't have to call me Johnson. Call me yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I, I want to thank you so much for um, the time that you've given us here on the program to hopefully, hopefully expand not only our minds, but even our hearts to to embrace some new concepts and maybe not so new concepts that 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 have been out there for a long time. And, of course, um, <clears throat> the one man that I never really had the opportunity to uh, interview, Wayne Dyer, that would have been a fascinating interview in and of itself. Um, but uh, there are still a lot of people here on this earth who have a voice and you have that voice as well. And I thank you so much for sharing it here on Tell Me Your Story. You are so welcome, Richard. It was delightful. 
I do have three final questions that I ask all of my guests at the end of every program, and I'd like to ask those of you as well. But before I do, I want to address you, the listener and the viewer, and thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your story. Uh, We are podcasting at those times at richarddugan.com as well as SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeart, and uh, many other locations across the uh, internet. So uh, just uh, put in Tell Me Your Story, Richard Dugan. Boom, you're there. Do the same thing at YouTube because you can watch these interviews on YouTube uh, at uh, Richard Dugan and Tell Me Your Story. And I encourage you to subscribe, not because I want more subscribers, but because when you do subscribe, you are then notified when a new podcast or videocast is posted. And I try to get them up as quickly as I can, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, that's how you get notified when there's something new. So that's the reason you want to subscribe. Not I, I could care less. I'm almost ready to put a piece of tape on my screen to cover up the number of subscribers I have uh, because it's not relevant to me. What is relevant is that you're listening and watching. And we're over 83,000 listens on SoundCloud, through SoundCloud, I should say, on all of the different media or podcast outlets, ladies and gentlemen. I thank you so much for listening as well as watching Tell Me Your Story. We also ask that if you can do so, we would appreciate any support financially. We have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, we also hope that you will participate in the decade of perfect vision where we encourage you to go within and listen to that still small voice and to get that encouragement, that inspiration uh, and that relaxing uh, tone, if you will, That'll help to recenter you for for that day, and I know that uh, uh, Terry uh, Terry Gordon will be uh, definitely supportive of that endeavor on your part as well. And with all of that being said, we now go to uh, the final three questions, and they are in this order: Who is Terry Gordon? Hmm. I am one who. Um doesn't take himself too seriously. I am one who is on um, a journey, um, facing um, hardship and sadness, but learning how to recreate my day every single day. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Touching other people. I, I prefer to be an anonymous toucher, if you will. Um, but it's uh, my purpose, I think, for being here is to do just that. And to, finally, to what is your life's purpose? Moving that next step forward. Well, Terry Gordon, Dr. Terry Gordon, cardiologist, uh, we thank you again for uh, giving us uh, all of this time. And we do really hope that you'll come back uh, to talk further. Uh, Maybe even we will delve uh, more into, of course, uh, the aspects of uh, that storm that does not last and uh, talking more about change and choices and, and all of the different things that you have found to keep yourself focused and on track that you share with us. I'd be happy to do that. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.